Hey guys, welcome back to the Well Said Podcast, where we are talking about following Jesus in a post-Christian culture. In today's episode, we're doing something a little bit different again. I'm actually here in the office with my wife. And, Hi, uh, everyone. Yeah, for, for those who don't know, her name is Leah. And we're here today on a Monday morning. I don't know what day it is when you guys are listening to this. But we're just sipping some coffee today and talking about these last couple of months of foster care. So we wanted to take a moment to think about what we've learned so far in our foster care journey over the last couple of months and share some thoughts with you and answer some of the most common questions that people keep asking us over this. And if you hear our kids in the background, that's totally to be expected because we do all of our work here at home. So right off the bat, um, what is foster care? It's a simple question that a lot of people actually don't really know the answer to. Yeah, I think people have misconceptions of like what it is. But basically, in the U.S., what happens, what other countries have like orphanages or they have different ways to the government for the government to take care of children whose parents are neglect, neglectful or who have no parents or, you know, whatever it may be. In America... Abuse or neglect. Yes. Um, kids get placed into foster care, which is... They get placed with families who have gone through the process of getting educated and trained and having their homes checked for safety and their lives basically investigated, background checks, basically people who agree to take on children who are not their own, open their homes to children for a time while um, their case is being investigated or, you know, the abuse is being looked into and sometimes it's a quick you know month or so where it's very obvious that the abuse wasn't a real issue it was misunderstanding and then the children are returned and a lot of the time it continues and there's obvious signs of neglect and um, substance abuse and mental illness and you know a whole bunch of things that go into it so kids remain in the system with these foster parents who take them in. Basically, yeah, it's just the whole system of our country's way of taking care of and providing for children in abusive or neglectful situations. So, um, and basically the government partners with families who go through training, um, classes, home studies, social work interviews, that are qualified to take these kids on. So it's not a permanent thing by no means. And the, that kind of brings us to kind of the second point, which is kind of the roller coaster of it. Um, you sign up for foster care, you go through this, uh, the process, you get licensed to be a foster family. And um, usually there's kind of an age range. So there's some expectation you, you get licensed for a specific age range uh, and an amount. So we were, we were licensed for zero to five and up to two kids. But beyond that, you don't really know how, when, who is going to come. You know, like the situation can change so fast. The first placement we had lasted five days yeah. and he, the little boy went back to his family because grandma showed up and wanted to take him and grandma had rights. Yeah. <laughs> so this, the, the two girls that we take, took on um, this time have been with us for almost three months. And we didn't even plan on taking two kids. We, we we licensed for two just in case, but by God's providence and, you know, the situations working themselves out, 
that's where we landed. But it is a roller coaster. Uh, it's yeah. a system where you kind of open your door and you don't, you can't have high, like rigid expectations of what's going to happen. Right. You have to be very open-minded. I mean, the thing that people often ask is like, do you have a choice? Do they just call you and you have to take any child that's, you always have a choice in foster care as a foster parent. Right, because it's your home. It's your home. It's your life. You always can say no. And we have said no to calls where, you know, it's just not a good fit. Or we don't feel comfortable. So you do get a lot of say in who you accept into your home. But when you, you know, you say we'll take a child newborn to five years old and, you know, we'll take a sibling set if there is a sibling. We wouldn't want them separated that's kind of the parameters they're looking for, for your home and placing kids in your home. And so um, it you don't know how long. You don't know, like, and they don't know themselves. A lot of times cases will open and it's just, they, they can't tell you for sure. Like, they will be a long-term. The first placement we had, we were told it was going to be long-term. Within five days, that changed. Sometimes cases are, you know, people are told that, their case will be, you know, within a week should be closed. And then three years later, the kiddos are still in that foster home. The case has not been resolved and life just keeps going. So it's just a roller coaster. And a lot of foster parents refer to it as that because there's constant change. You don't know what the future holds. You don't know what will change. Things come up that completely turn the case into a different direction. So but most, part of it. but most cases, just to kind of plug in, like the first few weeks kind of determine the overall trajectory of the case. So if a kid gets placed in your care, like things can happen, right? But yeah. it it is not usual for you to be getting like three week placements all the time, right? If you so are, usually yeah. most placement, what's the average time span? It it varies. I mean. When you look into we have the a number? international, like six months, one, I, one I mean, it varies. Some people stay a week and some it's like three years, four years, five years. It just depends. I Probably the average is 18 months to two years. That's where they try to either, uh, that's kind of the general rule of like either reunify with parents or tor- move towards adoption. That's just the general mm-hmm. bracket of time. But there's so many different stories, so many different cases that it's, to say one thing or one formula, you know, it's just that's not how it is. And you have to embrace that constantly changing. Part of that part roller coaster of also is the schedule, right? So, like, oh, yeah. in our week, it's just funny, like, to see how many times the schedule can change in the week. Because basically, when the kids get placed in your care, parents still have legal rights to see their kids. And it's actually part of the policy that um, the parents get visits, unless there's some sp- extreme situation where the parents are a like Danger physical threat to the kids or incarcerated right. or you know so basically two visits a week is kind of average. What, what's what we start off with yeah so kids leave your house for two visits a week social work picks them up takes them there um on top of that you have mandatory like doctor appointments in the first couple of weeks on top of that you have social workers who will do home visits and check in on the kids at least once a month come to your house on top of that there's like oftentimes some sort of um developmental mental health social development interaction of uh, like assessment so a therapist comes to your house works with the kids checks their development levels so basically you open the door not just to the kid but to the entire team to the whole team and it 
it can be overwhelming, but it's also really great to see how many people come together for the well-being of a child or children in, in on a case. It's it's a whole team. And then there's um, what's called CASA. It's a child advocate who is specifically assigned by a judge to be an advocate for the children, unbiased advocate who comes into your home and really assesses the well-being of the child, their safety, how happy they are. And there's so many people and it's it's a whole team and it's a lot of juggling. It's a lot of answering emails, answering phone calls, text messages, um, documentation, just nonstop. And it's it's quite a lot of that. It's, it's just keeping I, up with all I the I feel pieces. like these last few weeks though, like this roller coaster starts and it's like, oh my gosh, this is so many people and so many things. But then you kind of get into the rhythm and you know, you can anticipate it, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of, I don't know, I feel it's kind of a cool experience to be connected personally to so many people. Like most of these are pretty good people who oh, want yeah. to like help kids in need. And yeah. it gives you this taste of like the community around you, right? And like, also the system itself we'll we'll talk about in the in a minute the brokenness of the system and the kids but like even though the government system of taking care of the kids is not perfect um the people who work in it are like good people and they're trying to care for kids you know in the the limits that they have and that's been a cool experience to like cool to see that how many people truly care about the kids and yeah are their entire careers have dedicated to helping children in need, children who have been neglected and abused. And um, so that's been a cool experience, just meeting the team and seeing how many people come together for it. And I think a lot of the time people, you know, people who are new to the experience of foster care or someone who has a, someone close in their community doing foster care, a lot of the questions we get is right away like, oh, can you adopt these kids? Can you adopt them? And that's a very common question and I think I would have the same question if I would see it from the side and something in the training that we were told over and over and over again that foster care is not an adoption agency it is foster care is a temporary time of separating a family and working with the parents and the children to move towards reunification whatever the family needs so that is always the goal that is always the goal. No matter how severe situation is, within the first year, it is always the goal to reunify the children with the parents. Um, the percentage of what that happens successfully is 50-50. So 50% of the time, children are re- reunified. And the other 50 is they are adopted by a family member, a distant family friend, or the foster parent. So Or they stay in the system. Or they stay in the system. But not usually someone doesn't stay forever. Mm, a lot of kids in the teen years. Oh, that's true. Yeah, older kids age system. out. That's yeah. true. And they're hard, you know, people don't want to adopt teenagers very often. So Yeah. Most of the people If you want to adopt a teenager, there's a lot of them a lot in of Washington teenagers. state. Yeah. Um so yeah, and that kind of brings us to the brokenness piece. So we talked about the system, the roller coaster and the brokenness of foster care. So there's two aspects of what we mean by this, I think, right? Brokenness of the system itself. Right. Um, or maybe the brokenness is a harsh word. Like the, it's not harsh. It's true. The, yeah, it's yeah. it's sad. I mean, considering maybe the other countries and the orphanages and how they're run, it's a better system, and there's a lot of people who truly care. Unfortunately, our entire country leans towards um, 
the biological parents have more rights, obviously, than the ch their children. Frequently, the judge will, you know, say, okay, that's enough to see that they want their kids back and they change. And unfortunately, a lot of the time, kids come back to their parents within and within a few months are returned back into foster care because it is unsafe and the abuse and the neglect continues. And it is not, hearing so many stories, it is not in the favor of the children most of the time. I wouldn't say most of the time. Frequently, it is not in the favor of the children. Yeah, we don't have exact numbers. In the numbers, children's so. best interest. Um, you know, if it was purely for the children's best interest, oftentimes they would not be returned to their parents. Well, and it's tough to ask, well, what is the be child's best interest? Like, there's two sides, right? Like, a kid should be with their real parents. Yeah. For sure. So, but the problem is if the parents are incompetent, if they have substance abuse issues, mental health issues... Obviously, it is not safe for the kid to be with the parents. But then again, how far, you know, it, it's very difficult. It's not that easy for a government system to determine the, you know, the ability of an adult. Like, have they really changed? Have they right. gotten better? Like, that. those questions are hard to determine, and it's hard to fake the answers. It, I, I mean, it's easy to fake the answers. Right. So it's easy to, you can jump through the hoops and look like everything's good, and then you get the kids back, and you're back to who you were. Right, because right. so, all, all parents love their children, even the abusive parents, even the, yeah. so, you know, mental illness and drug abusers, like they love their children right. and they want their children back. And that makes sense. And that makes sense. And we can understand that. But a lot of times they're unable to take, to take care of themselves, let alone a child. And it's, it's, there's so many, so much brokenness in that because you understand a parent who has lost their children. And they are so miserable and they want their children back because they love them. But they often are unfit to be parents. And it's a sad reality. You hope when a child comes into care, you hope the parents' alarm bells go off and they say, oh right. my goodness, my children, I have lost them. I need to do everything I can. And many parents get their lives together and they're amazing. They get clean. They get the help they need. They start living good, healthy lives. And they get their children back and they have successful lives and, and it's one of those things that you know i've heard interviews of people who've gotten their kids taken away and they say the best thing that's ever happened to me is tps taking my children because it was such a wake-up call to the choices i was making and i i completely stopped and i got the help i needed and now my children are back and we're a ha happy family and i've never looked back and th those kind of that's the goal that is the reason that the government works so hard to try to reunify families. But unfortunately, a lot of the time that doesn't happen. So um, kids are in foster care and they get used to their foster family and the foster family loves them and have provided a good life for them. And it's very difficult to be separated once it's been two years and you love this child and you have to let them go back to the family, especially when you're quite sure it's an unsafe family to be returning to. So there's just the, a lot of brokenness. On top pain. of that, I think the the system is overwhelmed. So like, oh, yeah. it's, it's very difficult for the government to provide enough res resources, enough social workers, enough caseworkers to manage these cases effectively. And so because of that, kids fall through the cracks cases fall through the cracks. Kids will be returned prematurely because the case wasn't well investigated and well documented and kids become harmed in that process. So um, 
you know, like the the thing that we've noticed is that you have to, like as a foster family, technically your job is to open your doors and care for the kid and then let let the let the thing take care of it, you know, the, the system work and the case work. But you also have to be an advocate because you see that stuff falls through the cracks about these kids. And you can't, again, you can't blame all the caseworkers that they're all incompetent. Right, they're no, overloaded. Like, like they're carrying the 20 cases The caseload is overloaded, yeah. Yeah, and it's difficult to decide even from the outside, okay, is the kid's well-being, you know, just a, is it better for the kid to stay with a foster family that cares for them and is a stable household? Or is it better for the kid to go back to these unstable parents? Obviously, it's like, well, it's better for them to be with their real parents. That's how they're, you know, they're, this is their family, biological family. But at the same time, how, what is really going on in that family? How much change is really happening and how much danger and what does the future for the kids look like if they go back to that family? So it's a, just even asking that question, what is the best interest of the child? It's a complicated question, but unfortunately, because of the complexity of the question and the complexity of the system, it doesn't work out for the kid's favor lots of times right? because it's not perfect. Um, But in addition to the brokenness of the system, you have the, obviously, the brokenness of the kids themselves, right? right? So kids come into your home. They're not just the average little kids that you you see at your church nursery or the the preschool or the kindergarten. these kids have been through stuff that they should never have been through, you know. So abuse or neglect of any kind impacts a child in their social, neurological, um, you know, relational, psychological development. And so they these kids come with um, significant behavioral challenges usually. They are acting out. They don't have a sense of structure. It's been really interesting to observe. Like, I feel like... On the one hand, we're taking care of these girls, but on the other hand, I feel like it's also like a almost like a social experiment lab where we're watching them in their behavior and observing and learning and also seeing them change. Right. But you also realize that even like the the girls we have are very young; they're younger than three years old, both of them. But um, even in that short time, so much. Um, has been absorbed from their context. And what's really fascinating is all you see is what's on this side of, of the situation. So all you see is their behavior. You see their, um, like chaotic, um, mind, their disordered emotions. Um, you have no idea what was happening before and how, they were how this was fueled you have ideas of you know you have a sense of like oh some sort of abuse neglect this is kind of what happened you you get a very basic sketch of what happened and what brought them into care you get their medical records but you you don't you don't get their family information because that's private you know that's the privacy of the parents we don't we don't get to know in details about the parents and their situation because that's kind of none of our business. Right. So like you're observing, you're seeing, you're only guessing and wondering what life was like when they were not here, you know? Right. There's so many research studies done on children's brains and how they develop in a, in a, in a situation where they've experienced trauma over and over again. And even infants, I mean, their brains develop differently when they are not comforted when they are asking to be comforted, when they're not fed, when they need to be fed, when they are just screaming for hours and no one is there. Toddlers who have their needs not met constantly 
are in a flight or fight mode all the time. And that does something to the brain that is hard to even recognize. You know, if we are not people who know about trauma, trauma impacted kids, you can look at these children and think, oh, they're just a little bit more energetic or, but when you are the one parenting them and taking care of them for a prolonged time, you realize how much of that comes out and how they are so unable to function and unable to express their emotions and the way they've survived. And it it just comes out in this unique, um, in these unique behaviors that are difficult and you have to work through that and you have to help them and you have to um, kind of rewire their brain through a stable environment, a loving, caring relationship. You have to connect with them in a way they've probably never been connected before. And so just seeing that, experiencing that in such young children is, there's just a lot of weight and heaviness in that and a lot of pain that comes with that. And then understanding that they have had such a difficult life. They're so little and they've had to carry such a burden, you know, by age two. And then understanding that there's a chance that they can go back to that life that causes pain is it's a it's a heavy reality. It's a heavy thing to as a parent to grasp that they are here for now. They are who they are because of what they've experienced and you get today and you get tomorrow, but you don't know how long you'll get. And love them now, but you have no idea how long. You don't have control over the whole situation. Yeah. yeah. So with all of this messiness and complexity, the question then is how did we get into this and why are we doing this? Yeah. So we've we've been married for six years and we've kind of thought about, prayed about adoption. And there was a point where we looked into domestic adoption in the U.S. and looked into the prices and it's an average of 30 grand um, plus if you want to adopt a newborn and this is just a newborn with no severe medical issues um and you know looking into agencies domestically there are, you know a lot of them have two-year wait lists two-year plus and there's an average of 150 babies being put up for adoption in america with 350 families waiting to take a newborn so there's more families wanting a, a newborn than newborns are being put up for adoption and a lot there's a very high percentage of mothers who sign up you know sign up to give their baby for adoption go through the whole process give birth and change their mind which you can understand it's it's so it is painful to give up your child even though a lot of the time that is the best thing and the most brave thing a mom can do but a lot of the moms change their, their mind which is you know in a way is great because they want to mother that child and good they they should so we looked into that and it was, not only was it very expensive, we just thought, you know, it's for, it's a great option for families who want a specific, healthy newborn child that they want to pursue. And we just thought financially it's and... not as much of a need to, for like, if yeah. what we were trying to do is also just do something that fills a need. Right. Whereas here you have basically huge lines of people who want to adopt babies, healthy babies. This is you're ta- this is talking about going through foster care a- or not foster adoption agencies to adopt a healthy baby from a healthy mom. So that's the specific thing. Right. Now, when you're talking about foster care, you're talking about broken families, unhealthy, you have drug abuse, you have violence, neglect. So 
Um, so a much there, greater yeah. need in foster care. Much, much greater need. So we kind of, I feel like we got, like if you were to like, if we were to sit down and talk about foster care back when we were talking about adoption, we'd be like, nope, that's not for yeah. us. We I think we kind of got that. into it in slow motion almost, like boiling right. the frog slowly. Like <laughs> It's like we would never have gotten into it all the way. But like, so it started with, uh, we had a friend from work who was doing foster care. Yep. So we hung out with them. We've been, we've been kind of friends for a few years and hanging out, watching their journey, learning, asking questions. And little by little, because of that, I think we just went for an info meeting with our local foster care agency here in Bellingham. It's called Skookum Kids. Um, little meet, info meeting. Went to that, and we're like, oh, okay, cool. And they told us when the next classes start, like the classes that you moment, just... There was a moment, there was a moment when we were at that little info meeting at their office, and we just had our, all of our questions, and we were asking, asking, and the financial part of it, it was such a big part of adoption that kind of was a deciding factor. And so we were like, you know, how much does foster care cost? How much, you know, do we have to pay? And, and the lady was just like, oh, it's free. And we're mm-hmm. like, free? Like, how does it... How much does it cost to get licensed? She was like, oh, it's free. No, no cost. And I'm just like, that was a huge, like, there's this massive need. And it's absolutely free. There's no well, cost to you in terms of well, finances. obviously, because you're, you're serving the community but around But we didn't you. know that. We were surprised by that. And that was like, well, yeah, that was a huge part of it, too. We're like, well, it's not going to cost anything. And it's this huge well it's going to cost a lot it's just not going to cost you in dollars it's going to cost right. you in blood sweat and tears and time and broken furniture right but <laughs> um basically yeah so we kind of started going to the classes and like we literally had one foot in one foot out for a long time we're just like whatever you know like no commitment like whatever god's going to do if he wants us to work in this thing and he wants us to get into this then We'll do it. And I right. think that little by little, we just kept going and we were like, well, we are in a phase of life right now where our, our two kids are four years old and three years old. They're bigger. They're more independent. They're less hands-on. And um, we have some space in our life. So we want to we, we, we we wanna adopt, but if God wants to use this maybe even just like a year or whatever – for us to just open our doors to love these kids and, you know, to serve and to give that way and then to close that chapter. If that's what God wants to do, then that's that's what he wants to do. But we have the time and space in our home. So we were that's kind of our thought process. Right. Why not? You right. Know? And we we did want to adopt. We do want to at one point in right. our lives adopt. So hope we are hoping it would be wonderful if we could adopt through the foster care um, but we realized that you is, don't, we don't you set don't approach ourselves it up that for way. that. Yeah, we you don't, don't approach like yeah. I'm going to adopt through the system because the goal is reunification. Right. So if God leads us that way, that would be amazing. And that is kind of the reason we pursued it. But then God led us into this whole different understanding that there is this huge need and you have to be open. There's no guarantee. There's no huge benefit or oh, for sure, you will, this will turn out. You just, you go into it open-minded because you don't know what will happen. And so ultimately God led us into it. We knew, we kind of were feeling it out. We went to the classes. There was so much, they emphasized so much the brokenness. They emphasized how 
you don't know what will happen. You think you know, and then things change, and you have to be prepared for that. And they were so great about educating us. Yeah, school kids is awesome. In understanding what is foster care. And so I think a lot of the time they were just like, you know, if this is is scaring you away, good. We don't want you to be doing something that you're going into it unprepared. And so they really laid it out. And then it was interesting because we heard all that and we said, wow, I think we want to do this. We want to... We want to go there. And then God just really, I think he prepared our hearts and led us into it and provided. We knew that if he didn't want us to do this, there would be some sort of obvious block block in the road. But he has graciously led us here. And I, we have no doubt that He's he wants us to be doing this right now. So ultimately, God. I think, yeah. And I think part of that also just... Talking about, you know, the on this podcast, we talk about following Jesus in a post-Christian culture. Like, what does it mean to be followers of Jesus today? And that's like, I think part of the journey into this has been a natural result of an expanding vision of discipleship. So as our view and definition of what it means to follow Jesus expands to not just me and my private little religion and my private spirituality, but that... Um, Christ cares about the whole world and the news of the gospel is for the whole world. And if God created the world good and beautiful and he cares about it, then we care about the whole world. Um, and as we seek to live and follow Jesus, we also seek to do good in the world. And that's one of the avenues through which we, um, put on display this story of Jesus. But, I think just connecting the dots for ourselves in the past couple of years and just realizing that this is not just a social service to us, right. although it is, it's also part of a bigger view of just loving God and loving neighbor and loving the world that right. God has made right. and caring for it right. um, and knowing that that is not a waste of our energy and time. Right. It's never a waste never. to lay down your life for the world around you, especially when it is specifically the story of Jesus that drives you and the story of Jesus that animates what you do. So that's kind of like the background piece that's been shaping. Because I think one of the things that we're seeing, like a lot of us who grow up in Christianity in the church have this really closed, narrow view of what it means to be a Christian. It's just my Sunday religion, my personal spirituality, and then the rest of the life kind of belongs to me and my own plans, my financial goals, my career. Right. Not realizing that it all belongs to him. Yeah. The story, if the story is true, it's true for every part of your life. Yeah. So. And I think the church has a mandate in the Bible to take care of the widows and the orphans. And yeah, like that's this a is, huge thing over and over. This is such a big, in our country today, it's such a glaring, obvious need. Right. And if the church is not leading the way to taking care of these orphans, opening their doors, because God has provided abundantly for us. We are we are able to provide for so many children, you know, just with the homes we have and the love of Christ living in our hearts, we are able to pour out so much love unto, unto kids who need it. And so I, I feel like this should be obvious. This should be an obvious response of the church to the community's needs is, these kids are orphans in a sense. Their parents are alive, but they are in need of people taking care of them. And if the church is not the ones opening their homes, 
who will? It will be the world. It will be people who don't know Jesus, you know, providing Which is for not, these I mean, children. It's not a bad thing it's not when about anybody thing, opens their home. It's wonderful, but the church ought to be the ones doing it Right. First. If you If you believe in a God who loves his world, you should love his world too. And you should live for that too. You know, like right. it's a necessary consequence. And it's a testimony to the world, especially the church being pro-life and, you know, caring for all life and from the womb, taking care of the, you know, the women who are pregnant and in, in need and, you know, helping out the pregnancy center, your local pregnancy center, standing up against abortion and then taking care of, you know, kids in the foster care system. It's such a testimony to the world that we don't only shout from our church pews. We we get our hands dirty with the mess of caring for children who are in need, caring for broken families who need some stable people who need the gospel being spoken into their lives. And a, a large part of foster care, a lot of foster parents are believers, and the reason they do it is because of their faith. But to be to be fair, the people who got us into foster care are not Christians. Right. So you can't say that like only Christian people do foster care right. and blah, yep. blah, blah. That's yep. not true. There's a lot of caring people in the community. But as Christians... If you believe in a God who loves the world and a God who so clearly in all of the Bible is a father to the fatherless, cares for the widows, like the, God has a special heart for those who don't have the protectors and the, the, the stability of home. Right. Uh, so it should be a natural right. thing and for think, anybody who believes in this God and this story. Right. And I think the... Another aspect of that is that, what benefit is it to you? Like, yeah, what do you I get think out of often this? it's confusing because with adoption, it's this amazing miracle. And I think if people have a desire to adopt, they should pursue that. It's one of the biggest ways you can express the gospel, how real it is in your life by adopting a child internationally or locally, whatever your options are. And with foster care, it is a form of that, but but that also you're, there's no guarantee of adoption. There's no guarantee. A lot of times, you will love a child, get attached to a child. You know, they will become yours, and you have to let them go. And it's it's a loss. It's there's a grieving process. It's a very difficult, painful experience. And what you know, what proclaims the gospel more than people willing to lay down their lives and saying, "I will take you in. I will love you, and I'm willing to have my heart ripped out of my chest and be brokenhearted because I will lose you in the end." Like losing a, my own child, but I'm going to do it anyway because I know God will heal my heart and he wants me to do this. Like there's nothing that is so loudly proclaiming the gospel than that fact that you're willing to give this child love even then, even when you might be so broken in the end and technically get nothing out of it in terms of like, the child won't be yours and they'll be out of your life forever possibly and you'll just be brokenhearted and your family, your children will miss them, their own sibling. And there's so much pain in that, but you go into it knowing that God will provide, God will take care of you and God will take care of them and having this trust in God that it's worth it. Just but, like with Jesus, he, you know, he did this great act of love and not everyone will follow him. People rejected him, his own his own people rejected him, but he did it because of who he is, because of what filled him up. Well, and it's also an exercise of your faith because you, at the end of the day, if you believe in a God who loves and who is wise and who cares, 
that also means that you have to trust the fact that God is a better father to these kids than you ever will be. God is involved in the world. He is not detached. He is present. He cares about these kids and your time, their time in your home and your prayers for them afterward make a difference and he will he is better than you are at writing the story. So it's an opportunity for you to exercise faith and put your trust in him and also in the mysterious work that he does in them through you. Right. So it's not that, oh, you know, we took care of these kids for six months and they left and we got nothing out of it. You have no idea. You're not writing the story of the world. God right. is. And at the end of it, you may look back and realize how he worked through you in ways you didn't even realize. So you sow, you give, you mm-hmm. serve, and mm-hmm. you let God take care of how it all comes together. And I think that this specific foster care thing is an opportunity to exercise that faith, to stretch yourself, to, to challenge your heart and mind, you know, and to really put your faith on display. And even for yourself, grow in that faith. Realize God's in charge. God's a better father. He oversees the details. Trust him. Trust him to do the work. You sow into the story, you give yourself away, and then you ask nothing in return and let him deal with it, Believe, even though it's yeah. going to hurt you like heck. Right. Believe that he he will work it for, for good because he promised to, to work it for good because he loves us. Like having complete faith in him. And I think that a lot of the time foster care can have so much self-righteousness because here you are being a hero right. of society. You are marching into the darkness and taking kids from... Their evil, you know, abusive parents and saving them. And, yeah, and here I'm I am doing being all this so good. good. And this culture is so selfish. And here I am doing so much good. So there's well, a lot even, of self righteousness. Even hating the parents for what they've done to these kids yeah. and thinking, how could I'm you so do much that? Better than Look them. how much better I am. Look how much better I am at taking care of your kids and a lot of hatred and blame. And it's like, well, God is the story writer here. You cannot take credit. You are not the hero of this story because God is writing it. You are a tool in his story. And what an amazing privilege it is that he's using you to bless these children, to love them and to shine some light into their lives. And you, I mean, I believe that every child who comes in contact with Christians and and Jesus loving people are impacted by that love. And even if, if it's just one day, and I think that understanding that you are not the main person here it's not about you um it gives you perspective and it gives you it it just grows your faith because you have no no nothing to cling to you nothing to bring to the throne of god and feel good about yourself it's all complete trust it's just getting comfortable in the unknown of tomorrow like with our own kids we generally know like or at least you know we don't know but we have kind of a general idea like we have our kids we you know we build our family. They're going to go to school. We're going to have these vacations. We're going to do this camping trip. And this is just our general life. But with foster care, kids come in and you don't know how long you'll have them. You don't know how your family will grow or they will leave and your kids get attached. And it's like, God doesn't give you the details. You you can search and dig up the past history of parents and think, oh, how likely are they to get them back? How how are they doing? Are they trying to get better? Or will they get their kids back? Asking the social worker, getting all the details, trying to dig and trying to find some sort of security in this thing when a lot of it is like you don't get to know and stop trying because you don't get to know. What you do get to do is receive God's love and comfort and knowing that he is sovereign. He will take care of you. He will take care of these kids and it's 
It's just a unique way to experience God where you have nothing else to cling to but him because there's nothing else. There's no security. There's no knowing the future. And it's been so good, I think, for us to learn that, for me to experience that. You don't know, but you have God. He is a father who will take care of you in every step. And you can pray to him and you can ask him and he will lead you through this. I think that talking about brokenness, it's also just um, it, you have to be humbled by the fact that when you see the brokenness of other people and other families, what I'm reminded is I am no better than they are. Right. And everything I have is by the grace of God. I was raised in a different family. I was raised in a stable household. I was raised in a loving, nurturing environment. And I didn't give myself any of that stuff. And I'm not better than any of those broken families and, yeah. and broken parents. Um, and so instead of being self-righteous, it, what it should be is humbling me and challenging me to realize that everything is a gift, that I am not in control of this life as, as I ought, as I like to think that I'm in control and as I like to think that I have accomplished things, Mm -hmm. um, it's all a gift and you have to be humble. And when you see that you, you want to overflow in gratitude even more and serve and give and stay humble and not judge other people. Um, for their brokenness, you know? So I think, but, but also to, to be clear, speaking about all this stuff, the point that we're trying to make is not that everyone who is a Christian or everyone who is a good person needs to be in a foster parent, right? Right, right? So, uh, how can other people be involved? Uh, how do people decide if they should do foster care or not, or if they should look into it as we're closing up, maybe some basic tips. Um, I think, Everyone ought to consider, and I think there's a lot of, like, guilt. A lot of people see people fostering, and they instantly feel a response of guilt, like, well, we can't do that because we're we're not the type of people. And, and I think a guilt, is a, guilt is a terrible motivator. You should never do anything out of guilt. That's a terrible thing to walk into something huge and think, I'm doing this because I feel bad. But I think just check your heart and, and think, is this something that God could do? Is this something we're willing to go through and... And just if there is even a tiny, like, maybe, who knows? Because a lot of times what we hear is, I think it's what we said. It would be too painful. We would get attached and we're not willing to go through that pain of separation. And I think that's a real thing. And it's a real thing to consider for yourself and your heart and your family. I think we said that before we even Mm -hmm. considered foster care. But if there is some openness, I think, you know, go to an info meeting at Skookum Kids. They're always happy to. They do, like, quarterly info meetings all over the county. And then they, if you just want to come in on your own with your wife, with your husband, with your kids, they'll just sit, sit down with you and answer all your questions. You got to schedule an appointment, but yeah. Yeah. You don't just walk in. But, yes, the, like, the information is always there. It doesn't hurt to get information. Um, yeah, also, so support. Give money to Skookum Kids. That's a great way to support here locally or if you're somewhere else find a so basically foster care agencies these are agencies set up to help the broken government system function better but they're set up by people themselves but not by the government so like skookum kids here in whatcom county is set up by a group of people who want to help make the foster care system better more efficient and equip parents better so that's kind of what they do and they will educate you they will provide you resources really awesome. And these kind of agencies are all over the country. So give money to Skookum Kids if you're in Whatcom County. Um, go to an right, info meeting. they're a nonprofit and they have to raise a lot of their own funds. And, 
and they they have to staff people they have yeah they have volunteers so if you want to even just volunteer your time you can do that especially young people or you know people who have more time a few hours a week there's a skookum house i think they're they're getting another skookum house skookum house is the only home in whatcom county that's an emergency placement so kids who come into care who can't be immediately placed with foster parents go into skookum house they have five bedrooms i believe to for up to 78 hours and they have to staff that house around the clock so that kids who come in can it's you're the first people who are there for kids who have just been taken away from the parents it's traumatizing it is terrifying you know for babies for infants for toddlers for teenagers for anybody and so if you have that heart for foster children or orphans you can volunteer at this house and you know help serve dinner help play some board games color with these kids help them through their nighttime routine help them if they get scared at night and it's just an amazing opportunity and they do have jobs for skookum house so you don't only have you you can volunteer if you want but you can also apply so there's just so many opportunities you can you can volunteer for a lot of the events they put on so many events in the community there's also perch and play which is their um it's like a kids indoor playground place that they started so there's just endless endless opportunities um also just help a foster family like a lot of times foster families are limited in their ability to get babysitting or get, you know, proper stuff like fitting clothes, toys, uh, strollers, because all of a sudden, boom, over a week, your family just doubled in size or expanded. So, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can um, help, support, pray for um, that you don't actually have to be a foster parent. But also, we want to just kind of nudge and keep poking this, well, this isn't for me. Um, be skeptical of your own, of your own decision and just, just be willing to ask, Hmm, maybe, you know, is there a chance God wants to do this in our life? Even though it's even scary to ask that question because you think it's too much, you know, it's too much of a risk. Be open. First of all, just, just be, uh, uh, brave enough to maybe ask that question and pray about it and see where God leads it. So, yeah, I think in, like maybe to conclude, I think that. When God leads you into something, he's not, I keep saying this over and over again to all my friends and who I share about foster care with, when God leads you into something, he's not pushing you over a cliff into pain and misery and difficulty. He is with you in every moment. Like the first month of foster care, I've never experienced such strength and energy from just praying for it and God just every single day. We went from two kids to four kids, all four and under. It was crazy. It was sweaty. It was so difficult. But somehow God just every day filled us with this energy and strength. And it was so challenging, so tiring. But we felt God's presence. We we knew that he led us there and he provided every day with amazing faithfulness. And it's just when you step into this battlefield of faith, into this unknown of something scary like foster care, God will provide you with what you need. He will never leave you. He will be with you every way, every step of the way. And I think if you understand that, you understand how much closer and more intimately you'll experience God. It's an amazing, amazing thing to do. We have experienced and grown in our faith more than ever. At least for me, it's been amazing. The summer has been the hardest, the most difficult and challenging summer of our lives, but also the most fun and the most fulfilling and I, it just it just grows my faith to see how God is taking care of us every single day with these children that we're caring for and just this whole system and 
I think yeah. if you have any openness towards it, lean into that because maybe God is calling you into something that will grow your faith so much more than, you know, a safe place of your life. Yeah, the whole point of faith is that it is exercised when you are in need, when you're desperate. If you're comfortable in your life and you're if you're comfortable in your journey of following Jesus, if 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 you expect to be comfortable, then you are expecting not to live by faith. Because faith by definition is supposed to be stretching our boundaries, our definitions and our our sense of control over our own lives. And it is supposed to, and if you look at the whole story of the Bible, it is a story of God pushing people outside of their comfort zones to follow him and to serve him in radical ways that they did not anticipate, ways that stretch them and cause them to come face to face with their own weakness and their need for God every single day. So for us, that's been definitely the experience. It's it goes. You're you're way beyond your comfort zone, but at the same time, you're totally dependent on God, and you're saying, "God, give me the strength, give me the compassion, give me the endurance." Because right. I and can't. you know what? And He does. Right. Like you know, like James says, "Ask," and and God, who who is always willing to give, mm-hmm. you, you you do not have because you do not re- you know you don't you do not ask, mm-hmm. you don't receive because you don't ask. So it's been a cool journey of growing in faith for sure. Yeah. So definitely this is not the last conversation we're having about this, but it kind of gives you guys kind of in a nutshell the experience for the last couple of months. It's kind of our introductory reflection on it. Um, uh, also, we, we do share quite a bit about it on, you know, on Instagram, just the fun, the joys of foster care, the maybe the challenges or the thoughts. So if you're not following us already, you're welcome to follow along. And if you have questions, specific questions, you can message us on there and kind of if you're interested in more details. Um, it's just a cool way to kind of join our journey and yeah. kind of enjoy the, it's the more process. Your, it's more your Instagram account that has but all the foster too. care reflections. You have but some yeah. fun, fun, funny videos of the kiddos having fun outside. and. So. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. So thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, please let us know what you think. Share this episode with a friend if you thought it was helpful or encouraging or challenging to you in a beneficial way. Uh, give us some feedback leave us a review on iTunes that helps other people find the show thank you so much again for listening and we will talk to you guys again soon